Welcome to the very first episode of 12 Rounds with Chris. I'm your host, Chris. You can find me on Instagram at the real Chris. Um, you can find me on Twitter at the real Chris One. Um, yeah, and, and basically what this podcast is gonna be about is about boxing. I'm a very big boxing fan and and I just feel like, you know, I'm 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 pretty knowledgeable about the sport. If there's a sport that I'm knowledgeable about is a uh, wow wow, tongue tied there. Um, if there's a sport that I'm knowledgeable about is boxing. I love boxing. I've been watching boxing since I was a kid at my aunt's house um, with my aunt's husband, who was a big boxing fan and still is. Shout out to him for influencing me and teaching me about boxing and stuff like that. And just seeing the greats like Chavez, Trinidad, Pernell Whitaker. I even saw George Foreman at one point, who when he made his comeback lit in the early 90s, um, saw Tyson in his prime. I've seen them all. I've Roy Jones, uh, you name them, I've seen them. And uh, the Eric Morales, Mark Antonio Barrera. I forgot about that featherweight division. It was crazy back in the days. Um, Floyd coming up, Diego Corrales, um, Sean Bay Mitchell, Zap Judah. I could keep going and naming thousands of boxers that you probably don't know, or you probably do know. Who knows? But basically, what I'm saying is this podcast is basically going to be about that. And about how um how I'm how much I love boxing and, and and my knowledge of boxing and I will be reviewing fights and I will be giving my predictions of the fights that are coming up in the future. Um, but enough about that. Let's get right into it. So, about two weeks ago, we had one of the biggest fights, if not the biggest fight of the year. Well, the year's not over; we're only halfway there. So, I'm going to say one of the biggest fights of the year because. I'll get into why I think that's that's not the biggest fight of the year, at least for me and for boxing fans, like for real hardcore boxing fans. So two weeks ago, we had Canelo Alvarez versus Dimitri Bivol. Let me just get right into it. First of all, I saw in a lot of uh, in a lot of places on the Internet, um, like podcasts, articles and stuff like that. I saw the word upset everywhere. Plaster. Oh, Canelo got upset and everybody was raving and ranting about Canelo being upset. Let me just correct all of you. He did not get upset. That was not an upset. That was not an upset. Not even in your wildest dreams was it an upset. That was what was going to happen. And I had been saying that that was what's going to happen for a very long time. And I warned people that if he took this fight, he was going to lose. Because I already knew the advantage was towards the bigger man in this fight. And let me just explain something. Canelo Alvarez has only fought once at this division, which is 175. He normally... You know, he normally fights at 168. Um, that's a division he's he dominates, and he's much more comfortable, and he's even admitted to it now. Um, he fought one time in 175 versus Sergey Kovalev, who was an amazing 175-pounder in his prime. Canelo did not fight him in his prime. Canelo fought him a little past his prime. It's an, it wasn't the same animal from, from the old days. It wasn't a Kovalev from old. It was a different Kovalev. And he managed to... Get the knockdown. I think it was in the 11th round, if I'm not mistaken. I'll look that up and I'll verify. But I believe it was like the 11th round. He caught the knockout. Um, and it was a great fight. Dimitri Vival is a different animal. Dimitri Vival is in his prime. He's 31 years old. He had an extensive amateur background. He had close to 300 fights. He was like 268 and 15, if I'm not mistaken. That guy is a boxer's boxer. He knows how to beat you. And he knows how to fight. And I don't think a guy like that winning is an upset. 
because he had all the advantages. So if anything, it went the way it was supposed to be. It's his division at 175 where he's comfortable. He's a WBA champion at lightweight 175. That's number two. Number three, he's the taller man. He's six feet. Canelo's like about 5'8 on a good day. His reach advantage, I think he had like a three-inch reach advantage over Canelo, which means he can keep Canelo on the outside with the jab. Canelo's fight is on the inside. Canelo needs to get inside to work the body and then do what he does. If you don't let him get in, perfect example, Floyd Mayweather, anybody? Floyd Mayweather fought him when he was like about 24. Canelo wasn't knowledgeable like he is now. He's not the same boxer, I guess. But it's somewhat similar style. He likes to get in, work the body, deteriorate the body, and then the rest will fall. That's basically his game plan towards everybody. And it works. I'm not going to say it doesn't work. It works. But when you're facing a bigger guy, I think your strategy needs to change. So let's just get right into it. If you saw the fight, one thing that Canelo was trying to do was punch the arm, I guess, to try to tire out his um, his jab hand, and it was not working. Um, I guess the power difference, which Bivol later explained, he said, yes, he has great power, but he felt like he was he was putting everything on every single punch because he knew, you know, it's almost like telling a guy, I don't feel strong enough unless I put all my force into every punch that I can, like, I can really, really hurt you. And I think when you go into a fight that way, I think that's the first red flag for the opponent because now he's looking at you like, oh, you have to put 100% on each punch to even feel like you're hurting me or even feel like you have a chance. So that was the first red flag there by Dimitri Bivol when he was speaking and stuff like that. Um, he did a great job at keeping a jab and keeping Canelo at a distance, doing a great, you know, great footwork in and out, in and out, side to side, keeping him guessing where he was going, keeping his head off the center line, which is way, way important and something that a lot of boxers don't get taught enough. But um, he, he, he fought the perfect fight, you know, and congratulations to him. It was a beautiful fight. If you haven't watched it, I recommend it. Um. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of chess like boxing matches where it's more boxing and it's more methodical and it's like a slower a bit of a slower plate pace. Um I know the casual fan isn't into that. They they want to see a war. Um unfortunately not everybody is Manny Pacquiao and Eric Morales back in the 90s that you're not going to get that fight all the time. So, you know, I'm a big fan of more methodical boxers like Floyd like Bivol, guys like that, that they work themselves. You know, they know what they're doing. They break you down slowly. I'm more of a fan of that. Congratulations to him. Now, what's next for Canelo Alvarez? My 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 opinion and what I think he should do, I think he should fight Triple G. Triple G is in a in in a in a position right now where he's past his prime. If anybody saw the 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 last fight he had in Japan. Versus, I believe he was the WBO middleweight champion of the world. I want to, I want to make sure because I don't want to just say, I don't want to just assume that he wasn't, or, or that he was, I should say. Um, but he fought uh, Ryota Murata, um, who was, uh, no, he was actually the WBA. Yeah, he was the WBA. Wow. Okay, I thought it was a WBO. All right, so he was a WBA middleweight champion of the world, and. He gave Triple G a hell of a fight, and Triple G won the fight, yes, but Triple G didn't, like, didn't look like Triple G to me anymore. And I think that's the fight for Canelo. I don't think Canelo should rematch Bivol. Um, I think it would be a grave mistake to have him come down to 168 only because it doesn't change anything. 
He's still going to be six foot tall. He's still going to probably outweigh you by about 10 pounds when when fight night comes. He might make weight, but he's going to outweigh you by a lot. And then you risk losing your undisputed um, title to this man at super middleweight. And then it's back to square one. And I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think that's a good move for Canelo or his team. Canelo's a big name. He's still going to make money off any fight he takes. So I just think he's at an advantage if he just takes the Triple G fight and moves along, maybe fights Charlo or somebody like that afterwards um, because he still can make interesting fights that don't involve involve Bivol. Now, a man's pride and ego is a man's pride and ego. So if he wants to go down this road again, I wouldn't blame him. I would totally understand. I just don't think he's going to beat this guy because there's no strategy. I don't think there's anything he can do really that's going to change the outcome of, of what happened on uh, two Saturdays ago. And also, another thing I want to say is the, the, the scorecards. I have a big issue with, with the scorecards because they were awfully close. There was a 113-115. Um, personally, the way I had it, I had it, um, I personally had it 10-2. A lot of people had a 9-3. And, and and I just personally, I couldn't give Canelo another round because I just didn't see enough of him. I didn't see him do enough. I think he was frustrated most of the fight. And he let that get the best of him. And you just he was leaning on the ropes. He was letting uh, Bavol catch combinations, which were getting through the guard. A lot of that was getting through the guard. So I think that was the, that was the frustration talking. But I had a 10-2. A lot of people had a 9-3. I agree with 9-3. I'll give him 9-3. I just don't see how you had it 7-5. I don't know what fight they were watching and I get the champion's advantage, but that was a little disgusting because they almost, so basically what they were saying is that had Bivol not won the 12th round, we would have had a draw again. Same thing they did with Triple G, which was horrible because I feel like he lost the first fight with Triple G personally. That's just my personal opinion. He took some shots and Triple G was really getting through the guard and he was really doing his thing. Um, But you know, boxing is going to be boxing. You're going to see shit like that all the time. And I just think Canelo needs to move on, fight, uh, fight Triple G, and just let it go. Just you're gonna still make money. It is what it is. You'll be fine. You're a super middleweight. The weight didn't do you any good around the ninth inning. Uh, around the round, wow, ninth inning. <laughs> I'm thinking about baseball right now. Sorry, guys. Around the ninth round, he was gassed, and you can tell he was gassed. I've seen enough fights to know when a fighter is gassed, and he was gassed. But Canelo's a great fighter. He's going to bounce back. I think he beats Triple G if that happens in September because I really don't see him fighting Bivol. I think his team will talk him out of it, hopefully, because that, that, that'll, be the wrong, that'll be the wrong fight for him to take. At least if he's going to fight Bivol, give it a fight or two, and then revisit the situation. Maybe then you have a better shot at it. I don't think you'll win, but maybe you have a better shot at it. As for Bivol... Zurdo Ramirez continues to call this man out. And I just want to throw this out there. Zurdo Ramirez is a very good boxer. I'm not going to say he's not a very good boxer. I just feel that if he steps in the ring with Dimitri Bivol, it is not going to be what he thinks. Because he's a very good boxer, but let's not forget, he signed to Golden Boy. And, you know, his, 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 um, his, his, I don't want to say, I don't want to say his, his record is padded, but it is in a sense. He hasn't fought anybody really of any relevance or importance that I can sit here and say, well, did you see what he did to so-and-so? And it's like, eh, he's a great boxer. Yes, he's doing what he's supposed to do, but he's not, his, his level of competition is not, 
it's not Dmitry Baval, it's not Artur Berbiev, it's not that level. So let's calm it down. It would be a great fight, and if Baval wants to take it, I'm all for it. It's a great fight. It just won't generate money because not a lot of people know who Zurdo is yet. He's a great Mexican fighter. He, a Golden Boy has done a great job with him. He's, I think, he's forty and zero, if I'm not mistaken. He just, he just won his last fight this past Saturday. Um, but yeah, we'll see what's next for Bivol, man. But it was a great, it was a great fight. Again, it wasn't an upset, and it shouldn't have been that close by the judges. Let's move on to last Saturday's beautiful boxing card by Showtime Boxing. They did a wonderful job with that, with that card. That card was amazing. Um, I'm a real big uh, Showtime Boxing fan, Jimmy Lennon Jr. I've been listening to that man's voice since I was like about, I want to say like 10, 11 years old. So I'm a real big Showtime Boxing fan. Um, Let's get right into it. Let's talk about it. The terror at 147, the man, the myth, the legend, Jerron Boots Ennis. Whenever you hear Boots in a conversation about boxing, you might want to listen. Boots is, hands down, to me, the most impressive 147-er right now. That's not named Errol Spencer, but Crawford. Boots is just, oh, my God. I think Boots is just the scariest thing in the world. And the fact that he's 24 years old really, really, really should scare the shit out of everybody. Because that is a very young, young man. He's 5'10". He, he, he's, just, he's just a terror at the welterweight division. It's about time that this man gets a title shot. Um, I believe with his win, with his win um, this past Saturday, I believe he moves into the number one spot for the IBF um, by beating Custo Clayton, who was supposed to give him a a, a challenge. That was supposed to be an interesting fight. Um, That was his first loss. Custo Clayton had never been knocked down. And he did, and he he finished Custo Clayton in the second round. And it, it it's just, he made it look easy. He punched him in the back of the ear, messed up his equilibrium, and, and it was over. Custo Clayton just could not get his feet together. And it was a beautiful knockout. Um, and, and he's just, it's so, so fun to watch. He's so fun to watch. And let's just talk about it too, because I feel like that wasn't emphasized and it wasn't spotlighted during the fight. He was jabbing Custo Clayton's head off. It was getting through the guard, and it was leaving red marks on his face early. This fight was only two rounds. By the end of the first round, I need you guys to go back and watch that fight. If you can, go on Showtime Boxing or wherever you need to go. Um, well, I have the Showtime app, so I don't count. Go on YouTube and try to look for the first round of that fight. At the end of the first round, Custo Clayton's face was red. And this man is is my color. He's, 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 he's a dark African-American man. He's about my color. He's a little bit brown. But his face was tomato red. It's actually a little pinkish. But he was just getting lit up. And, and he just could not get out of the way of that jab. And that jab set up the rest of it, you know. And and Jerron did what Jerron does. I think I'm so high on this kid because I feel like he is the next big thing at 147 at the welterweight, at the welterweight division. Um, and I'm just excited to see what's next. Um, the buzz is he moved into the number one spot for the IBF. Who for the IBF welterweight title? Who who has the IBF uh, welterweight title? You ask Errol Spence. Yes, Errol Spence, and he called him out, which I loved it too. And Errol Spence bigged him up. He said he's a tremendous fighter. He's a young bull. He did what I did. You know, he wants that opportunity. And hey, you never know. I don't think Errol Spence wants to face that man. 
I don't think nobody wants to face Boots right now, man. Boots is just, it look, he looks very scary. Very, very scary. And he's a student of the game. I follow him on Instagram, and the next day he was in the gym, people. The next day he was in the gym after a, a fight. I mean, granted, it was an easy win, but it wasn't supposed to be an easy win. But it's an easy win because of his work ethic. He was back in the gym. He's a Philadelphia-born um, boxer. He was doing something nice with uh, for charity. Um, he was looking for a bone marrow transplant for a young child who's a really big Boots fan. Um, and I hope that he does find that. I'm going to try to get the website so that I can put it in here at some point during the, the, the podcast, you know, where you could check yourself if you're a match and you can donate. Uh, that that was super duper cool of him. Um, and he's I just like his demeanor. I just like his personality. He's very humble. He's very, you know, he's not flashy. He's not flamboyant. He just goes in there. He does what he does and he goes home. And I'm really liking that that kind of. You know, that kind of boxer gives me old school vibes back in the 80s when guys used to just go in there and do what they had to do and just go home. He ain't going to try to complicate things, you know. But it was a tremendous win. It's a great fight. I think he's going to continue to climb up the ladder. Um, Will he get an IBF title shot? Probably not because, you know, the fight everybody wants to see is Bud versus Arrow. If that happens, I think both guys, once that fight happens, I highly doubt anybody's going to stay at 147. I think they both go up to one, uh, 154 and, and wreak havoc up there, both of them at the same time. They're in their prime. Um, Errol Spence is 32, if I'm not mistaken, and um, he's in his prime. Bud Crawford, I believe he's like 33. I might be off. I got to look that up. Um, but it, it's just, it's just, uh Boxing, it, it, we're in a good time with boxing. We're in a good time with boxing. Actually, no, Bud Crawford is 34 years old. Yep, he's 34 years old. So, you know, he's a little older, but I think, you know, the experience and, and just as good as Bud is, I just think it's Bud. But I think him and Errol Spence go up another weight division. So I don't think that IBF championship match with Errol Spence is going to happen. I think uh, you, you're looking at the future undisputed welterweight champion of the world, Jerron Boots Ennis. Mark my words, it's going to happen. I don't see nobody in that division really giving him a hard time. Um, I also heard a lot of rambling on Twitter that he should fight fight Virgil Ortiz, who's another amazing kid, um, and, and I'm really high on. He, I think he's golden boy, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but Virgil Virgil's a great boxer. I just feel like, again, Jerron Boots Ennis is, whoo, that man, that's a bad man there. That is a bad, bad man there. Um, and moving on to the main event of the evening last Saturday between Brian Castaño versus Jermel Charlo um, for the for the undisputed WB. Um, no, actually, no, the WBA, WBC, WBO, IBF, undisputed 154 pound. Or, or like some people call it the the junior middleweight or the super welterweight, whatever the hell you want to call it, because I think that's another problem with boxing. Boxing needs to eliminate all these names and just keep it. We're either going to call it the junior middleweight or the super welterweights, one of the two, but we can't have both. I would prefer that they call it the super welterweights and just eliminate the juniors because, I don't know, I just, I just feel like it's so weird to say junior something. I don't know. I just prefer... Super welterweight, then you go in the middleweight, then you go super middleweight, so on and so forth. You get what I'm saying. Um, next it was that fight, and that was a hell of a fight. 
it went 10 rounds. It went, if you haven't seen the first one, the first one was damn good too. And it ended in a draw. Um, and I had it to draw too. I, I've seen it countless amount of times. I had it to draw. It was a great fight. It was an even fight. Anybody that says either guy won really doesn't know boxing like that. Um, but it was a great fight nonetheless. Brian Castaño on the first one, he was getting in. He was getting his combinations. Jamel Charlo, there was a point where Jamel hurt him. I think it was a second and a tenth. It was two times where he, he looked like he might have had Castaño, um, but he was smart. He played it, you know, he played it right. He played it patient. Um, he didn't he didn't go crazy attacking. And boy, was there a difference in this fight. This man came out the box. Jermel Charlo was not afraid of Brian Castaño whatsoever. Um, he stood his ground. They traded many, many blows. There was one thing that I that I said before the fight, and I have the text messages to prove um, um, that I said this. He needs to stay off the ropes. And he did just that. He stayed off the ropes. He managed to keep the fight in the middle of the ring. And he was working his jab a lot more efficiently and a, and a lot more effectively in this fight than he did in the first fight. I feel like he didn't capitalize on the jab in the first fight. In the second fight, he capitalized on the jab. It was a beautiful thing to watch. And in the 10th round, he hurt uh, Brian Castaño with an overhand right, if I'm not mistaken. And 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 he just... He, he just couldn't take it anymore. And it was just a, another shot that messed up somebody's equilibrium. It's just so, so, it's so crazy to watch that punch sometimes. That that reminds me so much of the Anthony Joshua, uh, Andy Ruiz fight, how Andy Ruiz caught him with that shot and just really messed up Anthony Joshua. And he was on spaghetti legs. And it was just, he was just never the same after that fight. Um I mean, for the rest of that fight, not after that fight, for the rest of that fight, he just wasn't the same. And they ended up in the stoppage. Same thing here. Brian Castaño got up. He was wobbly. He, I mean, he's a warrior, though, for getting up and telling the referee he was good to go. But he was wobbly. And 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 I knew that was only a matter of time before Charlo pounced on him. And that's exactly what he did. Shout out to Jermel Charlo. Um, your new, unified, undisputed, super welterweight. Champion of the world at 154. He's the ruler of that division right now. And honestly, I think his next move is to step up to 160. I think his brother Jamal is going to go up to 168 because he's rumored about it and he said it. And he really wants that Canelo fight too. Um, So I think he, he he's going to get it. I think Jamal is the better fighter of the two in my personal opinion. But Jamal is just a warrior. He's a great boxer nonetheless. It's not that much of a difference. They're two warriors. But they don't want to fight each other because they they brothers. they twin brothers. And I wouldn't want to fight my brother neither um, if I was in their shoes. So I understand why Jamal is moving up to 168 and Jamal is moving up to 160. Um, I don't see anybody giving him any type of trouble. The only thing I would say would keep Jermel in 154 would be a fight with either Butter Errol. I think that would be like, that would be a great fight to watch. I would love to see that. You know, I don't think he fights Errol, I mean, because Errol is down with his training camp and they, they, they spar together and stuff like that. So they're really good friends. So I don't know if that would happen, but he would definitely fight Bud Crawford. So if Bud Crawford were to beat Errol Spence somehow, and I think it might happen because I, I really love Bud. I think Bud is, Bud is, Bud is the guy. Um, I think that would be next for Bud. Go up to 154 and try to beat the the unified champion, the undisputed champion. So why wouldn't you? The, the four belt holder in the four belt era. Um, but yeah, it's going to be very interesting. As for Brian Castagna, that was a great fight. He's a warrior. He's going to bounce back. And if Jermel really does leave 154, 
I think Brian Castaño is going to be at the top of the mountain there until, you know, Bud and Arrow and, and, you know, other guys move up to 154 and really challenge him. I think he's one of the best, if not the second best, super welterweight in that division after Saturday. He just proved that. It was a great fight. If you haven't watched it again, go out there and watch it. Great fight. Ten rounds. These guys were busting each other up. But, you know, the better boxer, in my opinion, won, and I was correct again. I predicted a a six-round knockout or a seventh-round knockout. So I was off by the rounds, but I knew that I was going to come because I knew he was going to be much more aggressive in this fight than he was in the last fight. Now, moving forward to this Saturday, May 21st, on Showtime Boxing, David Benavidez versus David Lemieux for the interim WBC Super Middleweight title of the world at 168 um currently the regular wbc title is held by one canelo alvarez along with every other belt at 168 which is comical but you know because canelo moved up to 175 for the time being you know the wbc introduced an interim title which uh david benavides is up for for the third time he can become a three-time world champion which would be pretty cool um, I'll I'll explain in a little bit what an interim belt means. Um, basically, what happens is that uh, a lot of the times, boxing, uh, you get a guy like Canelo Alvarez. He's a big name. He wins that title, and he wins the WBC super middleweight title, and then he's off to the races, and he could just pick whoever he wants after that to box and and he you know he went undisputed he beat all the champions the wbf the wbo wba ibf he got all the belts to ring magazine you name it he has it so he's undisputed at super middleweight 168 and he went up to 175 and going up to 175 the wbc needs um you know the wc belt needs to be defended at super middleweight so what the wbc does they put an interim title in place of it um which then in turn turns into if you win this interim title, hopefully David Benavides does the job, which I think he will um, on Saturday, May 21st on Showtime Boxing. Once he gets that belt, he's in line to eventually down the line challenge for the regular and, and unify the championships and eliminate the interim. And then whoever wins is like the the sole WBC super middleweight champion of the world. Um, which I think will happen hopefully at some point. David Benavides is 25 years old. He's an amazing boxer. He's my favorite boxer personally. I think I love his style. I love, you know, just how he goes in there. He's not afraid of shit. He's going, he's going to fight you. He's going really, really fight you. And I think that's the dopest thing about him. And his hand speed is crazy. Just insane for a guy his size. And he's just a great boxer in my personal opinion. And he has a granite chin. He really, he really has a granite chin. He can take a punch. Um, I think David Lemieux is a guy that has talent. He's a good boxer. It's a great challenge for David Benavidez at 168. Um, this uh, David Lemieux has fought guys like Janetti Golovkin, even though he, he lost to Golovkin, and he's fought Billy Joe Saunders, who he's lost to as well. But with Billy Joe, he lost a unanimous decision. Golovkin knocked him out. I think it was in the, I'm going to say seventh round, if I'm not mistaken. It might have been seventh. Um, But again, it's Triple G. So it's like, you know, you can't really, you can't really get too upset. Uh, It was the eighth round. I apologize. He knocked him out in the eighth round. 
uh, Triple G knocked him out in the eighth round. So this is a guy who has four losses on his record, but don't be fooled by the four losses because a lot of guys have losses on their record and they're amazing boxers and they can really box and they can really do great things. He's a hard-hitting um, man, uh, a, a hard-hitting boxer from Canada, Montreal, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a great boxer. He has experience. He does a lot of things well. Personally, I think uh, he's an orthodox he fights orthodox. He, he does a lot of good things. I think he's going to propose some type of a challenge to David Benavides early on. But I just think David Benavides is just too much to handle. And I think David Benavides drops him later in the fight. I want to say ninth round, 10th round. I think that's when we get the knockout. But there will definitely be a knockout. I don't see this guy. I, I don't think he'll he'll withstand the, the constant pressure and, and just body punches and body blows from David Benavidez. David Benavidez is a monster, y'all. And that's a guy you need to look out for. So that's this Saturday, May 21st. And that's my prediction. David Benavidez by knockout, beating David Lemieux and becoming the three-time WBC interim super middleweight champion of the world. Um, Later on in his career, will he fight Canelo? I believe it will happen. It has to happen. Um, I just hope that he doesn't get a Canelo past his prime where everybody uses that excuse where it's like, well, he was past his prime. I want him to fight now. I don't think Canelo wants that fight, to be 100% honest, because other than Bavol, I tell everybody, the other guy that's going to be Canelo is the man that you will see fighting David Lemieux this Saturday on Showtime Boxing. Um, well, that was the first episode of 12 Rounds with Chris. I will be back next week to give you the results of David Benavidez versus David Lemieux. And I will also be talking about Gervonta Davis versus Rolando Romero live May 28th from the Barclays Center. I will definitely be giving you my predictions and what I think is going to happen during that fight. That's going to be a hell of a fight. But join me next week on another episode of 12 Rounds with Chris. I'm out.